Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bow Hunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth bringing you quality hunting clothing and packs at a price you deserve. Check them out at HuntworthGear.com. Just got an email going back and forth with Huntworth and they've got some new things coming up. Uh, going to be on the site in August. Um, they have a new version of their gray, uh, of their Shelton hoodie called the Grayling. Um, that's a heat boost uh, enhanced version of that soft shell hoodie. Uh, really looking forward to that. I've not had my hands on that one yet, but, uh, I do love that Shelton hoodie. So I'm sure that that's going to be, uh, probably my new go-to. Um, they are, so their Elkins is kind of like the scent lock, um, bow hunter series or full season series. Uh, if you're familiar with that from back in the day, um, they don't, they don't make it anymore. So it's not, uh, a uh, competitor um, at this point, uh, but they made some bibs out of that. I actually got to test those last year and hunt from them. Um, really awesome uh, bibs, uh, especially for the saddle hunter. I mean, obviously a bib is 
uh, one of the things that keeps a smaller back warm um, for those. The Elkins is like a mid-weight, like not quite cold, uh, but for those mid-season uh, hunts, those bibs are awesome. And then they added um, a heat boost base layer, and I've got some of those, tried it out last year. And really, um, you know, not too thick, uh, but very, very warm. And uh, those are a great uh, addition to the lineup. Um, very happy to have those. You guys will be happy with those. Um, they're adding some new gloves and some uh, heat boost baklava as well. Um, but pretty, pretty excited for uh, that hoodie. Um, like I say, that's going to be probably one of my next uh, next items I'm going to have to get. But um, they're not going to be at the Mobile Hunters Expo this this year. Um, looking forward to that coming up this weekend in Kalamazoo. And uh, so if you go back uh, a couple of weeks, we did that podcast with uh, Carl from Tethered. And um, we talked about um, that Black Hunter bow. And he's got that bow. He's got it set up. We are going to give it away um, at the Expo. Um I'm going to have some tickets. Um, you just have to stop by and ask for one um, at the Zinger booth. Um, so we'll have the bow there. And after the film festival on Saturday, uh, we'll draw a ticket, announce the winner. Um, not going to have to be present to win just as long as you've got your name and uh, phone number on there. We'll give you a call. Um, but re- really looking forward to this weekend. Uh, you know, Latitude Genesis 3D. Zinger and Kanadi uh, and Spartan Forge, all those sponsors of the show, people that support us, people that are on the same level as us, all in the same building. So you'll be able to check all that stuff out. Did just get the new Latitude Sticks uh, in, had them on the tree, uh, climbing with them, working on a video for that. But they're going to have those there so you guys can check those out. Uh, This is like one of those things kind of like we talked about uh, on the last podcast with David Riley talking about, you know, a deer camp in the summer, like Austin, uh, has his mobile hunters tune up, uh, coming up in August, uh, with Genesis 3d. Uh, so that's another, uh, option. I believe that's August 26th, uh, to get together with some of these guys, but, you know, getting together in a room with people who are on the same wavelength talking, you know, deer hunting, talking, gear, mobile hunting strategies. Um, all of that is something that can't be understated. So really looking forward to seeing you guys there. Um, lots of guys coming from lots of different places, looking forward to seeing the Patreons there. Um, but this podcast here that we just, uh, recorded, um, is, uh, two of my favorite podcasts, uh, merging into one, uh, Chasing Tales and Southern Ground, Parker McDonald, Walter Lee with the Southern Collective. And so we don't just talk about Southern hunting and kind of what they're doing. Uh, we talk about, you know, Parker does the water access. We talk about that sort of stuff, uh, efficiencies. We talk about cell cams, um, all stuff that's relevant, especially this time of year as we're going into uh, the season. So this podcast <laughs> is is more than just uh introducing you to their new platform uh plenty of tips and tricks in there as well uh, you know you guys support the show look forward to seeing you this weekend as always thanks for listening
All right, everybody. Adam back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And tonight, um, I've I've got a couple of of guests on here. I've uh, started this new venture. One of them is a really good friend of mine, and one of them is a really good hunter. Um, and I consider them both friends. You can pick who is who. Um, maybe go back, listen to a couple of the podcasts that we've done, and, and you decide uh, who's the better hunter. Um, we've got Walter Lee and uh, Parker McDonald. And previously, they hosted two different uh, YouTube channels, two different podcasts, uh, both very Southern-centric. Now, uh, Parker with the Southern ground, you would think he would have merged with somebody else with this name problem that he's had, you know, his, his whole uh, podcasting YouTube career. But but he chose to go slumming down in Florida with the Chasing Tales fella. So uh, how are you guys doing tonight? Good, man. Good. That was an intro, man. It was. <laughs> what an intro. It was. Well, I'm glad you, I'm glad you consider me a great friend. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. And we're looking once again at Walter's biggest buck there. And, uh, I, I absolutely love it, but, um, but yeah, so, so a lot has happened since the last time we've talked Parker, um, you want to guys have heard from Walter here and there. And I was just on the podcast where apparently, uh, my humor does not translate to the South, uh, as well as it does up here. Um, but what's been going on down there, uh, for you, man, dude, just staying busy. Um, I, I don't, I don't remember how long ago it was the last time that, that, uh, that I was on Bowhunter Chronicles, but, uh, I started a business, uh, doing graphic design and web design and uh, actually did some of your stuff. Uh, shoot, man, probably about a year ago, a little over a year ago, some year design work, uh, for t-shirts. So, um, been doing that going steady and it's actually, you know, kind of the reason why we decided to go ahead and do this thing with, with me and Walter, uh, Walter is somebody I, I consider to be one of my best friends. And, uh, we talk every day, we have two different brands or we have had two different things that are very similar that have similarities at least and we would brainstorm brainstorm these ideas together and nobody would ever actually do the idea because we did it we kind of come up with it together you know what i'm saying and so um i finally i was like dude i'm so busy i'm too busy with this business and i know that southern ground needs to scale let's put a lot these ideas that we've come up with in the past let's just put them together let's join forces and do this thing because i knew um going into this new season of business going into um actually got a pretty cool opportunity that i'm going to be doing this uh, this fall with tethered with the uh the tagged out tour i'm going to be producing that show and uh that's about to take up a ton of my time as we get closer to fall and so i knew i was going to need somebody and I trust Walter. Walter is a, a great guy. He's built a great thing with chasing tails and it just made sense, man. And so when you ask what's going on, that's literally been the, my, my focus is build this business and figure out how to scale Southern ground. And the best way I've, I've figured out how to scale Southern ground is to quit. 
<laughs> and start something new. That that makes sense, right? And for you, Walter, yeah. is, does that does that sound about right? What's been uh, what's been going on for you, um, and and how does it change what you're doing down at at uh, at Chase and Tails? Because you kind of went, you know, from a a story based, and this is the way we want to do it, and then into like a hunting, and then it kind of ended up being like, man, like nobody's doing like Florida content, nobody's doing uh, leaning into kind of like where you're at. Um, and you've kind of evolved over the years. And, and so how did that go into this merger? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Parker hit the nail on the head. You know, it's one of those things where it's really hard in the South to find people who want to talk. And, you know, it was always one of these things where like, I would record with a, with a guest and then Parker's trying to figure out how to record with that same guest two weeks later and drop an episode or, or vice versa. Um, he's I was about to say, come on, order. come on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> really <laughs> but but tell me how many how many times did you hold back on any idea just because one of us would probably be like about to work on the same thing and you did want the drop to be like too close or i mean we'd have a guest on at least three times at least three times like hey i just recorded with such and such you're like i'm about to drop something with him next week and we're like okay i'll just i'll kick mine down two weeks to you know give some separation um, hey uh, hey i'm gonna start a turkey podcast Oh, man, we've uh, pretty much just did that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that so, was kind of it, right? That was kind of the moment that was like, we just, why did we do that? Yeah, I, I just, I remember having this lunch break conversation with Parker where Parker's like, I'm just so tired of having to spend time doing this when I'm good at that. And I said the exact same thing. And it was one of those things where a year before we kicked this off, we had this about a year, year and a half, we had the same conversation. And we hadn't either both hit that point where we just realized we had not enough time. And, and Greg Godfrey is, I consider him the business mentor for both of us. You know, he said, I'd rather have a bigger piece of a smaller pie than the entirety of a small pie. And um, I think what people are going to see is not necessarily not now, you know, we have plans years, two, three, four, five, and six, not now you're not going to see more content, but I think what you're going to see is more consistent content that, um, will have theme-based components to it. We're going to plan out seasons. You know, one of the biggest podcasts that Parker did was legends of the fall. I think that's what you called it, right? It was legends of the fall. Nope, that was What'd a movie. Um, but it was, <laughs> it was called local legends. Local legends. There you go. Legends of the Fall is a good movie. Um, and then we did a Habitat series in Florida. And it felt like that kind of series where you put that intentionality into putting something together that built on it as it as it went uh, was something that was sorely needed as well as community. And so um, we're leaning into that really hard. I do think people are going to get more content and a variety of sources. Uh, the podcast is probably going to be a weekly basis still moving forward. And I think everybody is going to see... Um, a camaraderie they're not used to seeing in the hunting space. And I think that that is really already showing uh, to be valued. And I think it's going to be something that when people realize it's kind of been lacking, I, I know it's not everywhere. It's kind of regionally specific, obviously Southern collective. Um, but I think when people realize that that's what's been lacking for a while and they didn't realize it, it's going to hit home and, and they're going to want to be a part of it and they're going to want to support it. So I think, um, I think Parker hit the nail on the head. That's all I have to add. So, uh, from the, the hunting standpoint and for us guys up here in the, the North or maybe like the Midwest, like what is it that's going to, 
what what can we gather or what can be gained for us um, from from following along with you guys? Well, can I take this walk? Go for it, buddy. Absolutely. Um, because I'm gonna I'm gonna toot your horn a little bit again. Um, I have always kind of stood by that. I, th- I think hunting in Florida is probably the hardest state in the country um, that has whitetails, I should say. You know what I mean? Like Florida does have whitetail hunting and and it is a strong culture of hunting there, but it is tough, man. And and I think there's a lot of things that factor into that, but Florida is tough. And if you can pinpoint guys in Florida who are good, who are good deer hunters, you can probably learn something that you can apply anywhere in the country. And um, because I think it, it is that hard. And so somebody who's consistently killing good bucks or, or bucks, legal bucks on public land in Florida, man, they could probably teach you a thing or two. And so I've never hesitated to have a Florida guest on our show. And I, I've, it's never crossed my mind that somebody in Georgia might not benefit from this. Of course they will. And so I think it works the same um, for people in, let's just say, let, let's just use Michigan as the example here. Um, you know, I, I've, I've hunted in Florida. I've never hunted in Michigan, so I cannot tell you this 100% for certain, but I've watched videos of people hunting in Florida and I can absolutely draw parallels to the two, when you talk about swamps and marshes, um, you know, uh, I, I have been to North Dakota and I've, I've seen these, like those cattail marshes that just expand, that are just vast expanses. And that's super similar to what they deer are doing in Florida. And so I think if you can pinpoint those guys in Florida or South Alabama or whatever, let's just use this swamps as the, as the example here. Uh, if you can pin- pinpoint the swamp killers in Florida, Alabama, Louisiana, whatever, man, in a place where there are more deer, higher deer numbers, um, and maybe better buck to doe ratios, uh, maybe better age structures. If you can apply those things, dude, your your odds of success in these in these really good solid hunting states, and I, and I know Michigan has uh, high deer numbers low mature buck numbers is kind of what i understand um but if i i can't i cannot tell you 100% for certain because i'm not the biologist here but i would venture to say that it is a little bit easier uh or a little bit more likely that you're going to kill a mature deer in michigan than it is in florida um and so yeah i i mean i anywhere i've been Anywhere I've been in the Midwest, you know, if I'm trying to draw parallels from Southern hunting, I've been able to. Does that make sense? Like, it's never been a struggle for me to to draw these parallels. And and it's, in in my experience, it's worked. You know, there are a lot. Um, and it's definitely helped with these uh, Northern hunts or Midwestern hunts that I've done in the past. So, in your opinion, because like I said, in the that brief intro, you know, Walter's going to tell you that hunting in Florida is so hard um, just because it is, but why, in your opinion, having hunted multiple States and 
killed deer all over. Um, you know, obviously at this point, very successfully, what makes Florida so difficult? Man, there's a number of factors. Um, Florida is one of the only places, one of the only places that dog hunting, hunting over dogs or, uh, is legal, right. And you can do it on public land and you can do it on these national forests and there can be just dogs running all over the place and people, you know, perched up in the roads with a AR waiting for a deer to cross the road. <laughs> and and this is like on the, the national forest roads that people drive every day. And you just roll up and there's like a, a line of people with their guns hung out the windows. You're like, what the crap is going on here? And so these deer are getting pressured every day, every day that that gun season is open, that that, that, that is legal these deer are getting pressured and they've also adjusted to a lot of that pressure. And um, the other thing I would say is uh, the liberal bag limits that have existed in the past. Most would say it's still a pretty liberal bag limit. Walter, you can kill five bucks now in Florida, right? Yep. And it, and it used to be a buck a day or two bucks a day or something. What was it? Two, two. bucks a day. Yep. And and not a lot of emphasis and no on antler restrictions. Antler until, restrictions. Yeah. Um, I mean that that screws a lot of things up for a long time, for generations. Uh, that type of abuse of of the resource, and and you know Alabama's was the same thing not long ago, and I think that's why it's hard here. I think that's what makes Alabama hard is just a a. Uh, a previous generation of abuse of the resource and, and, and not, I, I, I abuse sounds harsh. Like people, people were doing just what they knew. You know, it wasn't like mm-hmm. anybody was trying to do it on purpose. Um, it just is what it is. I remember a time in my lifetime hunting that you could kill a buck a day in Alabama. You can still kill a doe every day of the season with a bow if you want to. Um, the other thing in Florida is there are a crap load of does yeah. and there's not a lot of opportunity to shoot them. Like it's really low opportunities to shoot them. I could tell you somewhere in Florida, I could, I could point you to a tree in Florida right now that you could probably go into and see. Have you ever been overwhelmed by the hundreds of food plot seed mixes out there? Well, you are not alone. And Vitalize Seed has developed a seed program that takes the guesswork out of food plotting. Vitalize Seed has two core mixes, the Nitro Boost and Carbon Load, to keep it simple. Nitro Boost is their spring-summer food plot mix, and Carbon Load is the fall plot mix, each having a diverse mix of over a dozen different seed types that are highly attractive to whitetail. Food plotting made simple, but it gets even better. Each mix provides necessary nutrients to the soil, making for better plots each season and saving you money by needing less Roundup and less fertilizer each season. The 1-2 system simplifies your food plots just how nature intended. Vitalize Seed. Make biology work for you. Order now at VitalizeSeed.com. 15 does if you wanted to. I could not tell you a tree in Alabama that I could guarantee you to see 15 does, but I could in Florida because there are so freaking many. Um, that makes it hard for anybody. I think probably Michigan deals with similar issues with there's so many deer and not a lot of opportunity. Is that correct? So I would say like Michigan 
we have a culture and it's not, it's not like that. So it's not where you can just kill all the bucks all the time, but I don't know what the, the hunter numbers are like in Florida or in Alabama, but we're talking, you know, 500,000, 600,000 licenses sold, you know, or, you know, hunters. So we've got a lot of people killing deer and during our rifle season, it's in, you know, bow, bow hunting now is, you know, taken off and, you know, there's just as many bow hunters and with crossbows and things like that. But you have generations of the, I want to shoot my buck guy. And they just shoot the first buck that comes out and then we can shoot two bucks. So then the second one now has to have four on one side. But in the past, you got one with a bow and one with a gun and they just shot the first deer that came out. And you're, there's no talk of like age structure. We've got tons and tons of public land. So we've got all these hunters crammed on public land, especially with rifles, you know, shooting, you know, the first antlers that they see. And that's success is that, you know, I got my buck and that's, you know, somewhat changing through like the QDMA movements and all that stuff. But, you know, now with some of the CWD stuff, there were no antler point restrictions and, you know, many areas you can buy 10 doe permits, which to you guys doesn't seem like that much as you shoot a deer a day or two does a day or whatever. But if you've got here in Florida, but if you've got. Uh, you know, five hundred thousand hunters that can buy ten. Yeah, you know, it's it's a lot. It, it can it can, you know, take out an area pretty easily. But for the pressure, that's the that's the issue. Like you know, dogs and all that stuff is is way different. You know, thought process around here, but you know, there's a there's a reason that it's called the orange army. There's a reason that, I mean, I remember, I remember when I was in college, I took the train one opening day, uh, from where I live down to Chicago. And like, you know, you're always looking for deer in the car anyways. Well, I'm looking out and then like every single piece of land and even like right on the train tracks, there's guys in lawn chairs with rifles and, you know, everywhere that there could be a guy sitting with a, <laughs> with a rifle that there was, and it was, and that was, you know, even on private land. So the public is just all, the, I mean, that's why when I was growing up, um, before I started bow hunting, like seriously, bow hunting used to be just until you got to gun season. And when gun season came, you shot your deer. Cause there was always deer and you could always shoot them. It wasn't, <laughs> there was no, like, that's when you shot deer was with the rifle. But before that, like we had the luxury of hunting private land and like public land was less than it was like, because Mm -hmm. you had to go out there with a rifle and it was dangerous. You know, that was, that was, I I remember being in the UP sitting in a tree and seeing guys with just driving down the two tracks with their muzzles out the window, you know, like Mm -hmm. we're going to, we're going to find us a deer, you know? So we, we get three, like three months of that. That's another thing that I, that that I didn't mention is like our gun seasons in the south are so long. Like 
and and, and you would you could look at at a deer census. I think I've seen one from like I can't remember twenty fourteen or something like that. And Mississippi, I think, had the highest deer density in the country. But Mississippi has this like crazy long rifle season, and deer are smart. You know what I mean? Like you can be surrounded by twenty five deer and maybe only see one or none, and and never know it. The other factor in that is the weather. Like it's just freaking hot in Florida all the time, nonstop. You get a cold front, man. You're talking like. 40 degrees, you know, like, like not that cold. Um, and, and that influences deer movement a hundred percent. You can have a ton of deer, but they're not going to get up and start moving around, um, in 110 degree heat, unless they have to right before daylight or right before, uh, sun up right before sundown, you know, that's, that's typically it. And that is, true all across the country that's the majority of the movement time right like that's when we get in the woods that's when we see most of our deer um but in michigan you know you could have it in in michigan in october you know it's going to be fairly decent outside right like it, it's going to be nice sometimes you're going to get nicer weather than they got in florida in october i promise <laughs> yeah um at least nicer as it as it uh, pertains to deer hunting, and mm-hmm. so man, I think there's there's a lot of factors like that that go into it, um, and, and I I hate even Walter knows this. I hate even being the guy that says that it's it's just harder down here. You know, like like if if you're born and raised down here, you don't really have any excuse for being bad at hunting here. You know, that's kind of where you're at. Um, mm-hmm. So figure it out. But I will say that. Man, sometimes it's it just is harder down here. <laughs> so, with your um, your collective, and um, can we can we pause though, real quick? Because you asked a really important question there, and then you asked a, a second one, but and it kind of dominated that. You said, "What what can they take away? Like, what could your listeners get?" Uh, you talked a lot about the strategy in that. I also just want to put an impetus on. We have northern listeners who either live currently or did live in the deep South who are part of that community. Uh, your listeners know about the Patreon community, but we have a lot of people who travel down here to hunt with us, who have moved down here and now have made plans to leave and, and move to, to greener pastures when it pertains to hunting. And so if you want to test that theory at a bare minimum and see whether or not what Parker's saying and what I believe to be true, um, that group is got, Head has got, I think last time I checked, about five or six guys who have experience living in both, hunting in both, um, and are very quick to, to give you their opinions about it and the things that they've learned along the way. And I think when you come to the Deep South, you have to be very um, flexible mentally. You, you know, you can't go into an area thinking I'm looking for this and then I'm going to hunt it because the the telltale sign could be different. There's no bell. There's no bell curve to the rut in Florida. You have this drawn out rut that's really, really long. And so you could have a hot feed tree strategy in December in the peak of the rut without deer running around because all those doe groups are bred out or just aren't aren't ready yet. And so it keeps you on your toes in a sense that I think it requires you to be more flexible 
with your mindset every time you go into the woods as to what you're looking for. And uh, those people are very eager to share those experiences with you in that group, in that community. So um, there's a lot of experience there from people who are well-traveled, who are willing to literally just open up the playbook and tell you what they found. So with that, and that kind of goes into this, but with your um, Southern collective and you guys bouncing your influences off of one another, um, what is it going to take for you to go, you, Walter, to leave Florida, to leave the South, to go to the Midwest, to these uh, greener pastures? Like, is that something that's that we're going to see? Because when when uh, Parker was talking about Florida and his travels and things transitioning, I, I feel like that's kind of like the way that Michigan is in the sense of like, you know, in the, in the last podcast we did with, with David Riley was, was really – um, really good. And it kind of opened my eyes to some of that. But I think the idea here in Michigan is like, well, if you want to kill big bucks, you just go to other states and it's easier uh, because there's more big bucks and Michigan hunting is, you know, somewhat difficult just based on, you know, all the factors that we kind of already talked about. So when you go to another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. If you can get on deer consistently here in Michigan, when you go to Ohio, when you go to, you know, Indiana, some of these other states, like, it's pretty easy, Missouri, you know, to, to find deer and uh, people have success. So we haven't really seen that from you, Walter, like leaving Florida to go. And I know that it's, you know, it's the Southern collective and it is all of that, but to just for proof of concept, like when, when are you going to go prove that concept? It sounds like a call. That sounds more like a calling out and less of a question. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I think it's, it's one that serves two masters. Um, I don't know when that's going to be. I mean, the answer, the obvious answer to your question is, um, my lifestyle is built around the opportunities that I have, the resources that I have right now. And I got a two-year-old at the house uh, and a wife who's in her MBA program. And so uh, my wife will be done with that soon. And, and you know that'll occur probably about the tail end of year one for SoCo. Uh, there is a whole season's worth of content that Parker and I have talked about branding, you know, uh, you know, the Southern boys go, go Midwest, the Southern boys go up North and let's see what happens to it. Um, that's an idea that we've talked about and it could happen as year as early as year two. Um, but at least for this upcoming year, you're going to see me just kind of be the, the local terror of the South. I'm going to hit Georgia, Florida and Alabama for deer season, uh, Georgia, Florida, Alabama and Tennessee for Turkey season. But all of those are places that, uh, you know, kid, kid has a stomach virus and my wife is trying to balance schoolwork. I can immediately pick up and, and, and be back. Um, but I, I, as this progresses, I'm very eager. Like I'm very eager to test my skill set um, outside of this state. And I can tell you that uh, as you, as I leave this state and I go to other places, whether on vacation, 
uh, for turkeys and walking around trying to find where deer are, uh, or just moving through upwards through the state of Georgia as you get into ag country and then up into the mountains, finding the deer is much more efficient. I'm much more efficient at, at, at finding them. And so I feel like I've kind of have a, a tasting of what it's going to be like and as it translates. Um, and so I, I probably year two, but maybe year three at the absolute latest, I think you're going to start to see some Midwestern hunts. Jake Bush is, is, uh, coming down to hunt with us in January. And one of the things we talked about was he was going to come down and hunt in January and, uh, he invited me up to Ohio. And so, um, that's kind of a rigged thing. That's like shooting fish in a barrel. Cause he ties up all his deer in August. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll, it'll at least give me some insight as if, uh, the areas we're hunting, if I would even hunt them, you know, and he'll be able to break down the why. And I, I and here's the thing, whether I fall flat on my face or not, I don't care. Like I'm going to show the whole thing to everybody. I, I don't care. You know, this isn't a pride thing. I don't say, Hey, this is the hardest place beats on chest. Right. It just, it kicked me in the teeth for five to seven years. Every time I leave the state of Florida within a few days, I find deer. And there were just, there was a whole two seasons there. I never saw a deer and that was debilitating. It's just, it's just different here. It, you know, the, the talk about Parker, the, the generation of, of it takes generations to repair it. That, that starts when you start doing what you're supposed to, to actually repair it. And in this state, you, they want to boost the population and their idea of boosting the population is not killing the, the doe producing deer. That's not what QDMA says. It's not actually how you get things into alignment. It's not how you stabilize a rut, uh, which is how you stabilize fawn drop and you increase your population by having everything drop at once. And so it, it's just going to be interesting to me. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it and I can't wait to get my teeth kicked in in the Midwest and have people just dropping comments left and right. Adam will be the first person probably to comment on YouTube. Hey, I'm, I'm your. Biggest champion, man. I've been trying to get you to leave that stinking state of Florida for, you know, half a decade now. Um, <laughs> but um, but now one of the things that I'm curious about um, because of that, and it kind of goes back to that question a little bit. Um, but with, uh, you know, what you guys are doing and um, having a very good um, – following camaraderie uh all of that with the south and the 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 southern collective um how much of this venture is going to be um just about tactics and all of that or is it going to be stories and everything uh kind of kind of melded in and uh, walter has told me before like oh you know you pigeonholed yourself with this bow hunting name and, and you guys are now, you know, and, and Parker had had it previously, you know, with the, with the South, with the Southern collective, um, how much of that deviates from your like mission statement going out of, you know, North or West or how, or how much, how much of, how much of the, uh, are you saying that it, does it deviate our, our vision to hunt up north or to do anything based out of the north. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, kind of, you know, by saying, because like if I, if I were to be like, okay, here's all my rifle hunting episodes. Well, it's, you know, kind of off brand um, for that. Oh. And like having a, uh, you know, you bring in an audience, you know, from the south and now we're hunting Ohio or New York, you know, all that stuff. Like, how do you guys see this as going forward with that, with kind of that stuff mixed in, right? I mean, uh, I think the best, the best thing is, is just what you already said. It's 
proof of concept, right? Like if if we're a bunch of jokers going around claiming that uh, hunting in the South is harder and, and you know, big bucks are, there's less big bucks or less mature bucks and harder to kill a mature deer in Alabama than it is in, in Kentucky. Well, then my butt better be killing a mature deer in Kentucky. You know what I mean? Like, or at least seeing them, at least having the encounters. I think you can only, tr- it can only translate so much because an out-of-state trip is going to be a, a, a week you have a week to go and figure out everything you got to figure out everything to try to find a mature deer execute make the shot recover it all that um here at, at home where i'm at in alabama while i do believe it would be harder if you take some person from uh new york and said hey go hunt kentucky and then go hunt alabama i think they would everybody would say Alabama is harder. Um, I think if you live here, this goes back to what I was saying earlier. If you live here, you don't really have any excuse. Uh, Like your home, your home place, you really don't have an excuse. Like you've got the time you, you, you've got the ability. If you love hunting, then you're going to find the time. You're going to prioritize it. You're going to hang your trail cameras. You're going to do your thing. If it's on your private land, you're going to, fill your feeders, you're going to do whatever you go to some place you've never been before. And it makes it a whole lot harder. So all that to say, like, if we're going to go around claiming that, then we better have something to back it up. Um, and honestly, it is more fun to go on a place where you have a better chance of shooting a mature deer. It's way less stressful. It's way less stressful than it is trying to do a, trying to do a hunt or, or go after a particular deer here. Um, to go out and know, you know, if, if I, if I do my due diligence, if I do my, put in my, my couple of days of scouting, um, and go through this system that I know works, uh, like I know it's going to pay off or I know it's at least going to, I'm going to get the opportunity. I can't say that about when I go on a trip to Florida and I don't know what the heck I'm going to see. I don't know. I don't know if I'm even going to find a spot worth hunting in the whole time that I'm there. Um, Anyways, that, that was a long way of answering answering your question. I think it's just the reason why it goes with what we do is because it's it's proof of what we're saying. And and I think I'd also take it a step further and say that it, it's the consummate November thing to do in the South is to go kill big bucks in another state. You know, I don't That's know right. I don't know a single diehard and I mean like diehard deer hunter uh that has the means to travel that doesn't leave and then kill a big buck in another state. Like I'm sure they are there, right? I'm sure people come home empty handed, but no one in my friend circle from Florida, from Georgia, from Alabama goes out to these Midwestern states and doesn't come home with something substantially larger than what they run into here. And so we've been doing that for a long time. We recognized a long time ago that there was just opportunities in places like Kansas and Missouri and the Dakotas. Um, and I think that as much as it's a, can they get it done thing? Dude, that's just what we do down here. We, we, we crush everything that walks out in the back 40. If you're lucky enough to have a couple hundred acres, you're maybe growing some deer. Uh, but you're, you're, you're filling the freezer in the deep South. Maybe you, you shoot a hammer, but everything on your wall, it's coming from a Midwest state somewhere. It's coming from Kentucky or, or, you know, it's, it's just part of it, man. I just grew up with, with guys. They were uh, on the hunting camp that I grew up on. There was a group of them that would go to the Midwest every year and they would hunt public land every year. And they would go to Michigan. They would go, no, they wouldn't go to Michigan. They went to Wisconsin. They went to Ohio. 
they went to Kansas and Missouri. I don't know of a single year they came back without like four or five huge bucks. And we're only talking about four or five guys. So um, there is no shortage of guys in our, in our tribe that aren't planning those, those Midwest hunts and guys like chicken buck who literally they'll go punch all their tags in one state, pick up camp, go to another state, punch all their tags, pick up and go to the next one. And they're all shooting great deer. So um, it it's who we are as much as cornbread and college football. Well, Walter, the other thing, the other thing you didn't, I thought you were going to mention it and you didn't, but it really doesn't like get in the way of most of our rut times to go and travel and hunt the rut in an, in another state because the Southern rut is, is notorious for being goofy, right? Like I have uh, 30 minutes in either direction from my house. I have a different rut. And when I say a different month rut, I mean like different months. Mm -hmm. So like, I'm going to have a November rut 30 minutes from my house. I've also got a December rut 30 minutes from my house. Uh, I've got February and January ruts within 30 minutes from my house. And I'm talking about like one WMA might be one rut and another one might be another one. And they're significant. Like it's, I'm not talking about like primary ruts and secondary ruts and things like that. Like these are their ruts. Um, and so like, as long as it, as long as I'm not going out of state uh, or, or to the Midwest in December or January, then I can still get all my good hunting time in here at home and still travel for October and November when it's getting good in other places. I can see that. Uh, and I've, I've heard that from Walter and then from, from some of the other guys um, as well. And I, I, I really like that. Um, it, it sounds a lot like Michigan to, to tell you the truth. I mean, I, I know you consider that like the Midwest, but you know, I've got a lot of people in my circle too, that, leave the state of Michigan and kill, you know, they'll exactly what Walter said. They'll kill, you know, a, a basket eight and a six point or a seven point fill their tags. And then just be like, I just want to kill, you know, just want to fill both my buck tags. And now I'm going to Ohio. Now I'm going to Kentucky. Now I'm going to, you know, wherever. Um, and that's pretty, pretty standard for the, the serious guys. Um, I want to shift gears here a little bit, just because it's something that, it like popped in my mind. And while I've got you guys on here, um, I think it's a good, a good topic for right now, getting ready for the season and, and for, for guys that are trying to get their gear, um, in order. I'm, I'm pretty sure Parker that you had influenced Walter down this journey. Um, and I'm not singling out Walter probably with a whole, uh, movement, uh, because of the way that you video and your cinematography and things like that with your kayak hunting. Right. So for guys that are looking into it and for myself, like I go back and forth. The thing that I struggle with is like, how do I get back? (laughs) Because like the, the, it's easy to float down. It's difficult to paddle up. And especially like with the river that I've got near me, like I've got buddies that have done it. We've done it with trilling motors. We've done it out of boats, all this stuff. But like to just go put in a kayak into the river system that I have, um, it going upstream, it would be a lot of work. Um, like I said, we'll, we'll get into that, but, um, like choosing a kayak without a $2,000 budget. Right. So, how do you yeah. like where you started 
the kayak that you started in or like when this first like came to be to kind of like upgrades and like, what would you be looking for? Yeah. Um, I, I would, I would tell anybody to use what you have, right? If you've got a kayak, use it, you know, see if it, it's, if, if it's not a hunting, you know, a pretty heavy weight load kayak, then it's going to be, you're going to find holes, you know, in the system, like it's not going to be great, but use it. Right. And, and come up with a reason to invest. And, um, I, it was all a progression for me because last year I didn't even use a kayak. I, I didn't, I don't think I even used a kayak one time because I kind of got to a different stage in life. I could afford a boat. Most of the water that I was on that I was hunting, I, a boat is perfectly fine. Um, I will say there's plenty of other applications for a kayak and that's why I'll never get rid of it. Um, and it will continue to be an option for me is because I have encountered places where you couldn't get a boat in and you had to drag a kayak to it and, and all that stuff. But I think you should, um, I, w- I will say this to, in response to what you said, I don't know how to get back or how do I get a deer out or whatever. Um, Ted Bright, I don't know if any of you, if you've ever had Ted on the show or not, but uh, Ted Bright once said something kind of in passing to me. He's, but but it really stuck out. And Ted's a killer, man. He's an absolute killer. And he said, you just, I don't ever think about how I'm going to get the deer out before I've killed it. That's just not an option to think about that. So, and so whenever I tell people like, yeah, just go take what you got. Use what you got. Don't think about how you're going to get out. Obviously take safety into consideration and don't do something stupid, but use what you got. Find places find a place to use what you got. Now, if you're saying um, it's almost impossible to get, you know, back upstream or whatever. um, Yeah. Like I would, I would invest in you use what is the most efficient method, right? Like don't the kayak is sexy. And I've had to talk myself out of this a lot. Kayak is super sexy and it looks cool. And it, the pictures are awesome. I love, the pictures that I've gotten from using a kayak, I think they're just cool. Um, but it's, it may not be your best option, right? Like maybe get a boat with a troll motor. Uh, that's, you can find plenty of those for under $2,000. Um, I will say if somebody says, I really just want to use a kayak, I think it's sweet. I think it's cool. I think it's, I mean, I would agree with you for a person on a budget who doesn't want to buy a boat and it's fairly low maintenance, a kayak with a troll motor is perfect um and you can put it anywhere you're limited you're limited by your battery you know like like anything but um that's a great option and you could i would say used you could probably find what you need a a good you know canoe a a one person canoe would be awesome or what i use which is the new canoe um you could you you could under two thousand bucks if if that's the kind of the, the line you could find that um use and you could probably find it new honestly like an f12 frontier 12 or the the, uh the unlimited i'm not sure exactly how it's running right now it's the the newer model but any of those boats man they're they're awesome they're killer for a kayak hunt so i just i just look at it can i yeah go ahead oh go ahead no i just look at it and i say i wasn't thinking about getting the deer back out i've just so i know like yeah like my buddy and i we're in a canoe 
and I don't know if they had just opened the dam or what, but we both had paddles and we had a trolling motor and we were going nowhere upstream. <laughs> and it was like, we just crossed the river. We went for like 20 minutes and got like maybe 20 yards. And we were like, all right, we're just crossing the river and we're just going to walk <laughs> because there's, <laughs> there's nothing we can do with it. I like that's, I don't ever think about that as like being an, a, a, a barrier, um, like it's always coming out of the woods. Like, so you've just, yeah. you know, you float down, you get in your spot, you know, you do all the things that sound great, like that make kayak hunting this great thing. But like, if you're on significantly moving water, it's like, okay, so now it's dark. You just want to get back and you're fighting this current with this awkward load or, you know, depending on how, you know, what boat you're in. And it's just like, okay, like well, that, 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 that's where it doesn't become sexy anymore for me. Well, you, you just, you just named the reason why it's effective. Why it's an effective method is because like being out, I don't care if it's a current or not being out in the water on a kayak by yourself in the dark is freaking scary. And if you're not used to it, like the first two years of me doing it, it was like, I would automatically think about every scary movie that I ever watched, you know, and, and what one thing that, um, you know, if you're, if, if you don't hear somebody say it, you don't think about is fog on the water in the morning or in the evening after it's rained or something like that, bruh, that will, uh, down here, we say that'll make your butthole wink. Cause it does. Mm -hmm. It's scary, dude. And then you add in like freaking, uh, I said scary and series series started going nuts. <laughs> Did y'all hear that? Did mm. y'all hear Siri? No, yeah. no, like I said her name again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I said scary. And uh, she, she thought I was talking to her. Um, but I've been on places where, like that fog mixed with the idea that there's alligators and snakes there. Um, probably not going to get you. You're not going to get got by alligators and snakes most likely, but it's a thought they're there, you know? And it's like, um, I took Mark Kenyon. He came up and, or came down and hunted with me a couple years ago. And he said he nearly threw up because of the fog because he just, he didn't know where he was, man. And you're out there on, bodies of water and you can't see anything so it is scary and you can't really get past that it's kind of daunting um there are bodies of water that are easier and a little bit less scary but i know exactly what you're talking about man like there's some places it's just too much for me i'm not going to go back maybe if i was in my 20s again and i didn't have kids i didn't have a wife didn't have a whole lot to live for like maybe i'd do it still but uh, there's places that I know there are deer and good deer, and I'm just not going to go to them because there's just a little more risky. And you're going to find those, man. And the the name of the game is figuring out the way to get there and doing the thing that other people aren't going to do. And and it's not all like like I've been on places. This is a, a great example. Last year we went to a WMA. Me and my dad went down um, to a WMA. We haven't hunted much. And it's largely water access, but it's bigger bodies of water. So it's boats, um, a lot of duck hunters and stuff out there. And there was a lot of people hunting on this particular gun hunt. There was a lot of people out there. 
But what we noticed was when we got to the boat ramp and we weren't even getting there super early, we were, we were getting there around, you know, five o'clock. We put the boat in, roll up the river, you know, five, five miles, you know, two to five miles, something like that. And get to our spot, get set up, you know, wait for the sun to come up and not hear or see a single person until right at daybreak. All of a sudden there's boats everywhere. Everybody coming in every, I mean, last year on that hunt, we got to a spot and I ended up killing a buck on this, on this sit. Um, but I had like three guys come off the water after daylight, like right around the same time. And just all their headlamps, I could see across the river where my dad was and I could see headlamps all over there. And all of a sudden there's people everywhere, but you know what? Me and dad were seeing deer. We were seeing a lot of deer actually. And I ended up shooting a buck, you know? that same morning um and then the same thing happened in the evenings <laughs> right at the perfect time right before dark when the deer should be getting up and moving or at least it's your best time to see them boats are cranking up and going down the river because ain't nobody want to be on that water after dark <laughs> um and so like it even i found even places where water access is the primary thing that darkness man it gets to people it gets to you. And so, Walt, what, what were you going to say? What, what's been your experience? Well, I just wanted to—I just wanted to throw two things out there. So, what Parker said about b- being able to get it out. Parker gets these killer shots with a really nice setup with a deer, a whole deer in it. If all you have is a Pelican ten-foot kayak, learn to pack out a deer, bone it out, figure out a way to put it in a bag, put it on the back of the kayak. Right? I see a lot of people who get really hung up on. And you see it literally every year, like, hey, I'm trying to find the best kayak at an affordable price. I can get a deer out. And I'm like, dude, if you live in in my neck of the woods, you're looking at about 60 pounds of meat on an enormous deer. You can find a space. I mean, it just it it it, it that's a huge deer. Um my 115 pound buck mixed with pork fat yielded 40 pounds, right? So you're talking about less than that coming out with you, right? You put it in a trash bag. You, you put it in the back of the kayak and you get it out of there. Um, so don't let that stop you. Uh, that, you know, just whatever you've got, the kid's kayak, make it happen. Um, Adam, I, I would say if you're, if you're looking like budget route, um, riveted John boats with a trailer routinely outside of the state of Florida, you can find them five to $700 on the maximum end of the things. In fact, if you look in like middle Alabama, they're like 500 bucks. You get a 14 foot riveted John boat with a trailer. Please mother of God, come get it out of my backyard. It's been sitting here forever. Right. And you could probably get it for a little bit cheaper and you can put a small long tail motor on the back of that thing, uh, for about 500 bucks. And so for all in for a thousand dollars, you've got a boat that'll get you absolutely anywhere. A kayak will, as long as the width of that boat can fit where you're wanting it to go six inches of water with rocks, it doesn't matter. It's getting there. And so if you're listening to this podcast and you're in the Midwest, and again, this is the kind of information that you're going to get from listening to the Southern collective, because um, a swamp, the long tail is a waterfowl thing and then a recreational tool in Florida, right? I mean, it's just a way of having fun down here because our, our water is so choked out with vegetation. We have to have long tails. Um, it's light. It's going to tote real easy. It's a lawn. It's a lawnmower motor, right? Can you service your lawnmower? Sweet mother of God. You don't belong listening to this podcast, aspiring to hunt. If you can't keep your motor on your mower running, right? Um, $1,000, brand new. And you've got a rig that is probably going to last you 10 years without any kind of service. I mean, yeah, you're going to have to keep the grease bearing, you know, the the grease on the bearings, but that's it. 
Um, there are really affordable ways. You just kind of have to think outside the box a little bit. Adam, I have a question for you. Sure. Walt, as Walter's talking about this, my, my, my gears are just turning, man, because I have never seen a I've seen plenty of Southern hunting stuff, deer hunting, and a lot of people down here use the, the long tail motors like that for deer hunting. Um, but I hear and have seen videos of like these big, huge marshes and stuff that y'all have out there or big bodies of water um, that are kind of choked out by vegetation. And I have never seen anything from any of the Midwestern or Northern states of anybody using one of those to deer hunt. Is that like, is it legal? Is it possible? Do you know? I mean, I figure duck hunters use them up there. Uh, I mean, I've seen them like the, just down the road from my in-laws, somebody's got, got one and they, uh, I forget what they call them, like a mud motor or whatever. Um, you see them every once in a while for, like say with duck hunters, like that's, that's, but it's just really not a, not a thing. And, and I don't, I, I couldn't tell you why. Um, and you know, when w- Walter's talking about that, like, like my buddy, Eric, who, you know, has been on the podcast hunts with me, like he hunts out of a, uh, aluminum bass boat. Like that's what he's got with, uh, you know, uh, and then we've hunted out of, you know, john boats or whatever just with tiller motors and stuff like that but it's it's just Mm -hmm. you know you got to do all the stuff with the (laughs) you know with the trailer and all that stuff and it's just um but but as far as the mud motor goes like it doesn't i i don't think i've ever seen anybody hunt with one and i i guess probably what it is is most of the people up here that um i think would go that route probably already have a boat for fish in the river for steelhead or, or, or walleye or whatever. And so that's just the boat that, the, you know, that would be the motor of choice. You know, they, they wouldn't buy another motor just to put on that boat. Well, I, I'll bet you there's somebody listening to this mm-hmm. who is a hardcore enough deer hunter and has some money to spend. I would be really interested to know if that, if there's like legal issues with that, because like in fault posts, he has a whole bunch of stuff that I've seen about being, you know, knee deep in the swamp. I think he's hunting a refuge though. That doesn't allow for those motors. Like a lot of those. Well, well okay. That, I've yeah. been in that swamp with him in the winter. I, I went to a scouting thing and I didn't see, I mean, I guess there was like some maybe water access, but it wasn't, I mean, it was just all cattails. Like it, it's. Not, I don't think it's. There's like a. Isn't there watering the cattails? Yeah, but I. I mean, what I mean is like I don't think that there's like a boat launch or like a, like an, an yeah, area where it. you would like. That would be like, acceptable. Now I don't know if you could. I, I mean, I guess, if we were to liken it to, um, a. Uh, like a kayak where you could, uh, uh, you know, if you could just drag your kayak in there and go through the cattails, oh, yeah. I, I don't know that that would be different. I guess it would be motorized, but it would, you know, it'd have to be posted or whatever, but it is yeah. some sort of like it, a, a, a refuge. It would be that. anywhere, anywhere. I would think that you can duck hunt, um, from a boat would be perfectly legal to deer hunt from it. I mean, if they've got people like I've watched a bow hunter not bow hunter die, um, uh, Kurt, what what am I? Uh, Curtis Zobel. Oh, why am I 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drawn in England. Behind the bow. I watched it behind the bow. I watched a, a video that he did, the, the life of a public land bow hunter, I think. And he kind of dips his kayak into this little canal mm-hmm. um, in a marsh. And I'm, I'm thinking, man, if a guy could figure out a way to get a little mud motorboat in there, you have just skipped a whole lot of time. <laughs> like, um, and, and that goes back to the whatever's efficient, right? Like efficient and legal. That's the route that I want to go. So maybe, maybe in your area, it is a kayak, you know, maybe it's shallow stuff, shallow bodies of water. Maybe that's what it is, but man, there are options out there. And I think, I think it's important. The thing, the, the moment that my, that my, it clicked for me was when, um, I, <laughs> I thought I started thinking to myself, man, how cool would it be to make a, a spot that you could put a deer on the on on a kayak trailer like i didn't even hunt with my kayak at this time and i was like that'd be cool that'd be really cool and i started asking around like you guys know of any like water around here that is surrounded by public and i'm telling you everybody of my friends said i don't never never really heard of that it's not really Mm -hmm. a thing and then when i went and started looking at maps i'm like there's a freaking ton in the state of alabama like a ton and and so much of the fact that anywhere i've been Pretty much, if you have a public body of water, there's probably some type of public property surrounding it. Um, there's a good chance of it anyways. And so the two both really go together well because there are so many places. Tennessee is a great example. There are so many bodies of water in Tennessee that have public land around them, right? Like there's so many. I'm not going to tell everybody where they're at. You got to go find them yourself. But there's a lot. And it, I see that in a lot of states. And it gets okay. overlooked a ton. Mm-hmm. It gets overlooked a ton. Even if you have, let's say you have five or six guys using a boat out of one boat ramp. That's five or six guys versus hundreds that are hunting that property. You know what I mean? Because the, that barrier for entry is so much harder. It, ju- it just works, man. And, and I find it pretty much everywhere. Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos, speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. So I'm just thinking through that mud motor scenario versus kayak and and you've kind of um you've done this because you've got a little outboard for your kayak right so mm-hmm. I, I how does how do the deer react to or what is your strategy or whatever with the sound of the motor um like as you're approaching your spot etc i mean i i will say Walt's probably saying the same thing where he's hunted because I know he pretty much rides his boat to the tree that he hunts a lot of places. Um, I don't do that all the time. Like, you know, most of my spots I would say are within over a quarter mile from the boat, but I have a lot, I have a few spots that are a little bit closer. Um, but most of them I would say about a quarter mile from the boat. Um, and so, you know, I'm not always taking into account 
what the deer are doing right there by the water because it's just honestly like my access is going to be a planned around where I think the deer or what I know the deer do in that area. And so I naturally adjust to that. Like, um, and, and then I also know that with water as kind of a boundary, like most of the time deer aren't going to be coming from that area. Does that make sense? Like th- there's a lot greater chance that they're going to be coming from the opposite direction because there's more land that way. And so I set up everything accordingly like i turn my motor off when i start getting close to my spot but i mean i try to be mindful but the reality is is there's fishermen coming down those coves at all times of the year there are people who live on the lakes that i hunt who are yelling you know across their boat docks uh all day long i had one guy me and my dad had a guy that last year like get out and absolutely cuss us at like four thirty in the morning. We got out of our boat and, and he was drunk or high or something, and he was just cussing us. And like it was, it was crazy. We were kind of at one point a little bit scared because we couldn't really see him. We could just hear him yelling. And um, I tell you what, dude, I saw a buck that day. I saw a buck later that day. Like it wasn't like or later that morning. It wasn't like it totally ruined it. So. A lot of the the a lot of the um, uh, draw, I guess, for me with hunting close to water is that those deer usually aren't used. They're not used to a whole lot of danger coming from that direction. And so, when you, I, I mean, I've had plenty of deer just stand there as I get out of my boat and look at me. I mean, I'd say with ten to fifteen times a year. They just stand there and look at you and then mosey off. They don't really ever spook when you come at them from, from the boat when they see you that way. Um, now, once your feet hit the hit the ground, it's a whole different story. But if you're in the water, most of the time, they don't give a crap. They don't care. I mean, so what would you drive in the boat right to the right to the tree? Like, what's your strategy on that? They don't get it. They don't care. They see it all day, every day. I mean, I literally have got, I was just scrolling through my phone trying to, to figure out which ones I was going to send you guys, but I've got photos of bass fishermen, like literally as I'm, I, I'm sitting 20 feet off, off the, the water. I mean, I'm literally my best spot. I am sitting on top of the water. The tree bends backwards. I'm in the saddle singing, sitting out over the water. I have bass fishermen right up underneath me. And for some reason, they're just so preoccupied. They don't see the blaze orange vest. And literally they, it's, it's almost predictable about right where they'll, they'll be in the brush. Like, Oh, there's a guy in the tree. And it's like, yeah, and there was a big blue boat right there too. Like the whole time, like, you know, that was the giveaway, but, uh, my philosophy on this now, don't get me wrong. I'm fairly stealthy about certain things like lingering noises. I, I try not to make it sound like I'm lingering because they, they hear the transient dude down here. The mud motors are running from 2 AM. Oh hell. They're moving from 2 AM to, uh, 10 PM. I mean, you know, they're out there you know, the, with these duck boats, you dang near could shoot it with a cannon and it wouldn't sink. And so they're just hauling butt at 20 miles an hour through these stump fields. So you've got bass fishermen and duck boats and all this human scent running through here. They don't care. I really don't think they care. I think what they're looking for, and in fact, I witnessed this happen uh, last year with one of the biggest bucks I've ever seen. Um, And again, that's credit to Parker hooking me up on the idea of water access. Last year was my first full year 
hunting from the boat and my encounters went through the roof um, because of what Parker said. People are scared. I've not seen a single person out there uh, willing to get up at the hours I am and do what I'm doing, especially from something like a canoe, uh, which is a glorified canoe. Um, but I'll, I'll be running full tilt. I'll cut the motor off. I'll bring it up. And then as I glide up to the area, I'm using a push pole for like the last hundred feet or so. Um, and then I'm hyper methodical about when I get to that bank, cause I'm only about 50 to 60 yards from the, from either of the bedding areas. I'm hyper methodical about mechanical noises, metal on metal, um, anything that sounds like it's lingering. Um, I used to really worry about my footsteps as well. Um, and then one of the days I'm over there, there's raccoons running around in otters running around up and coming down the bank and it sounds just like people walking um i just don't think they care i think they're looking for something human predator and lingering and as long as you don't hit those three uh three criteria i I think you're fine um i i frankly think that even if you were to take the mud motor idea i gave you and put it in michigan I don't think they're going to be like, oh, well, you know what? That sounds like a predator. I mean, it'd be so unique. I don't think deer have this intrinsic ability to go, well, that's outside the norm. And I'm going to associate it wholly with uh, a human, a human presence. I, I just don't think it, I don't think those are the kind of things that matter. I think access, like the direction you access it, you know, one of the reasons I hunt right off the water is because I have these two, two finger ridges. I say that with air quotes for anybody listening, cause it's a modest change. Um, I have these two fingered ridges that a trail runs down. And the reason why that spot is good is because I can run my boat right up to that area. There's a couple of blow down, uh, trees that, that I can tuck my boat into so that they can't see it. And I don't leave any human scent. I never cross the main trails that they go up to. Um, I hunt it with the thermals or the wind pulling down into my face. And um, that access, if I were to come from the opposite side, if it was if it was possible, I'd ruin the area. And I'd run the risk of educating those deer that you know that motor cutting off at a hundred feet and then gentle noises that that's human. But um, it's it's a strategy that is wildly uh, successful in my opinion. Hey, another thing too about the water is most of the time that you're at the water, which is going to be like in that early morning, um, early morning and late in the evening, like when it, I guess it, you could say it would matter. Um, I, I typically like to hunt mornings the most. And I think it's because my access is so perfect from water yeah. because thermals are always pulling towards where you're accessing from. So they're never, we're always, we're always accessing from the lower elevation, right? Because we're on the water, it's usually creeks, drainages and things like that. And so when you access early in the morning, all your thermals are basically just pulling back towards you um, and not broadcasting out to every deer. Now I have spots where I have to go straight from the water and I climb up a bluff and all, all of a sudden I'm coming in from the top to the rest of the spot. And so those are those do happen occasionally, but um, for the most part, your access is pretty good. Um, and I think a lot of times deer aren't going to run because they can't smell you, right? They just they see something out there. They can't. I've seen deer act act weird. I've seen them act crazy because they can't figure it out, and they do everything that they can to try to get a whiff of whatever that is that's going on there, but they can't because it's just always pulling. Yeah, and I think. For me, 
I'm just like so intrigued because like, like I said, my buddies hunted down there. I've hunted down there with them and you know, he's super successful. There's, you know, a fair amount of access. There's a fair amount of hunters, but there's fishermen. There's people running trap lines. There's people, you know, I mean, there's constantly boats and, and all of that. And I guess I just, it's just one of those things that keeps you away. And it's, like one of these things where I drive by it every day and I'm like, I know there's big deer in there. Like I know, Mm -hmm. but I just, it's, it's, it's the going against the current, like in a kayak or something like that. But like I said, it's a pretty significant water. Um, so I'm like, "Ah," you know, but, uh, you know, we have access to a boat. Like I have like Frank's boat's been sitting in the garage for the last four or five years. He hasn't, touched it it's 16 foot modified v 25 horse it's like uh i i should probably just learn how to man that yeah just use that it's probably about time right i mean i guess if i, I mess it up it's not mine <laughs> I, I realize at some point just work one more day next week adam yeah well it's overrated <laughs> when i got my motor on my kayak I was like, I had like built a whole brand on kayak hunting and I finally got my motor and I was like, well, flip now I, for the first time at like 29 years old, I had to get my boating license. I've never gotten it before. Like I built a whole brand on water access. I don't even have a boating license. <laughs> yeah. Now you got to do the MC numbers and you got to get yourself. Yeah. Legal I got all sticker. that done now. I got, I'm official. <laughs> I'm a boater. Well, you know, I really do appreciate that because I, I think, I think for a lot of guys, you know, obviously you, you spark that in a lot of guys, you know, including Walter there, um, that, you know, that like I joke around, you know, it's the, it's the CrossFit, it's the saddle hunting, kayak hunting, public land <laughs> trifecta, right? It's like, yep. it, it, it is what it is, um, but it's effective it's it's efficient and you know how, whatever people think about public land whether it's the coolest thing whether it's harder whether it's less than um you know we live in an area you know fortunately and it sounds like you do too where there's lots of it so you know there's there's lots of place what i've learned about public land you know like i said since i was a kid and thinking that it was one of those less than type things is that there's just plenty of room to get away where yeah on your piece of private you know add a few more guys and it gets bad real quick you know unless it's just your sanctuary um you know you throw like we we have six eight ten guys on our piece of private well i can go on public public with a lot less pressure than that you know so i i I think that the, that the water access, you know, opens up a lot, um, for guys and to think of it, you know, I, I think in the South, you know, especially with, with Florida for you, Walter, it seems like that that's what Florida is, right? It's the Everglades. That's what, that's what you think of. That's, and that's when I think about, oh, where are you deer hunting? Like, I don't think about, you know, that you're maybe just hunting somewhere hot that doesn't have deer. I think it's like, it's always snakes and haints and gators and all these terrible things that the South has in the dark. Right. Well, that's what you, when you were talking about the fog, that's exactly what I was thinking of. 
just we didn't even mention the meth heads <laughs> we got a lot of them or the hobos yeah uh, yeah i i think i think i'd also say the water access is is sometimes just a different access to the same piece i don't water access places that don't have hunters or you couldn't just as easily find a way to hunt it from the road right i mean if you go to these places that i'm going there's tracks up and down the road there's there's you know but boot marks up and down the road you could you could uh access these areas on foot i'm just getting creative with how i enter and exit that area um it also happens to be a barrier to entry for people that they don't want to do i mean we do have you know unfriendly encounters with alligators here pretty common um and so when you said get away it just kind of sparked that you know get away we oftentimes think overlooked spots we think you know, getting as far, you know, going deeper, going further. Sometimes getting away is just accessing something in an unconventional way or an unnecessary way such that you're getting up to a place where other people aren't or aren't as effectively getting to. So I just wanted to put that little like tidbit in the back of people's minds because there's there's a lot of, you know, five to 30 acre areas that if you got a little creative with how you access them, they'd all be much better hunting. I'll tell you that was never more apparent than Eric and I hunted in in uh, Missouri, and we went across this. I don't know if it was like a a dike or like some sort of like man made pond, but we went across to these ridges, and you know we both saw bucks. He missed a buck over there and had deer right underneath him, and we the next day we pushed a little bit further into there and we got into some pretty good sign but i've never seen like the amount of disappointment on a guy's face when he walked from the other way which was like at least two to three miles to get there and then saw us whistle at him in the tree and it was like he's like oh my god like that's the disappointment so when you say Mm -hmm. when you say that that's that's exactly it is you know you're you're getting to that same spot that someone very well could you know, want to be hunting, um, you know, in that, in that case, it was less effort, but less scent, less everything. Um, and man, was he disappointed. <laughs> he was Dude, very I, bummed. I can't tell you, I can't tell you, Adam, how many times that has happened to me. Um, like it happens to me often. Um, mostly when I'm out of state, I will say in my, Stuff at home, like I'm usually not going to fiddle fart with it if if a ton of people can get to it. You know, I agree with Walter. I definitely agree with Walter. I'm not disagreeing with him here. Uh, I think the access, you know, can be the quote unquote game changer in an area like the one that he's referring to. Um, if if a spot is so good and deer just keeps deer will stay in it. You know, if if it's got the cover and it's got the food. They're going to just figure out how to survive still within it. Um, and they're going to avoid that pressure. And so I do agree with that. But um, on out-of-state hunts, dude, it happens so many times where some jerk will come, you know, humping it up the hill, just be bopping, going to get to his, going to get to his spot, which is probably where my boat's at. Um, because it's like these opposites, right? So from the parking lot going deep, is going to where I park my boat at. And from where I park my boat at, the the or where I park my boat at the going deep is 
getting closer to the access a lot of time. Um, and so like you, you really have to focus on, and, and I keep coming back to this, like this idea of efficiency. What is the most efficient way to do this? Don't use a boat if it's not the most efficient way. If it makes more sense to do it from the land, then do that. You know what I mean? Like figure out the, like, you just got, you've got to be more efficient, right? Like that's my ultimate goal. And I've had to talk myself out of using my boat because I've wanted, like, I want to pump that spot and not use my boat. That wouldn't be freaking cool. That wouldn't be cool at all. And so I've talked myself out of going and mm-hmm. there's places here at home that I know there's big bucks. And I just talked myself out of going there because I don't get to use my boat. Um, and I'm, I, we, we've got to change that. You figure out the way to be the most efficient in your area. And that might be buying some rock climbing gear and climbing bluffs. Man, I'm telling you, there's some bluffs in Tennessee. If a guy would climb them, there ain't no freaking telling what was up there, you know, on top of those mountains. Um, it, it might be getting some waders and doing what Infault does. That's what separates him from people there is that he just pounds mud through those swamps. Um, and so it's going to change this, this creative access is going to change from place to place. And I think the important thing that if I wanted somebody to gain some type of uh, encouragement or uh, inspiration is to find out what that barrier is and figure out how can I, how can I do it? Don't say, Oh, well, you just can't do that. How can you do it? Right? Like it's a pretty easy concept. Just figure it out. Just figure it out. I think that's one of the, I think that's one of the things too, that, as I go through this, the efficiency thing is one thing. Um, but I think the people that are truly successful are the people that put in the work over and over time and time again. And, you know, you're not, uh, maybe out of state. Um, but everything that we talked about with the access through the water and all this stuff, like you're not just going in there once, you know, like oh, I'm just going to hunt this blind. I'm getting up at two in the morning. I'm going to pack all my stuff up and I'll go find a tree in the dark. I mean, maybe you do that. Um, but I don't think that that's where you like hang your hat, especially in your own, you know, in your own neighborhood, right? You've been in there well, it, at least some, yeah. at some point you've gone in there, verified that all that work and scariness, terror is, is, is going to be worth it, you know, at, man, I'm going to be point. honest with you. That's, that's not true. That, that really isn't true. Um, I, I wanted to sit here and agree with you on it, but I can't cause it's not true. Like I, my, my best hunts that I've ever had, like, yeah, of course I've got spots that I go to. Um, but the best hunts that I've had at pretty much every spot that I have honestly was the first or second time that I went there. Like, and a lot of the time it was during just just in season. So a couple of years ago, I did new spot Monday and I would just go to a different spot every single Monday. It was my first year of being self-employed and I could hunt whenever I wanted. And so I was like, okay, how can I make Mondays valuable? So during archery season, that's what I did, new spot Monday. And those were largely water access spots, you know, and I'd just go in there and I'd hunt it. And then after I'd hunt it, I'd scout it for a little bit and figure out, is this a place where I want to spend my time? And if I found the sign, if there was tracks on the beach, uh, 
you know, all that stuff, then that's when I would go. You'll find with water a lot of times and in the South, this is a, this is a Southern thing too, because we don't have a lot of agriculture around here is their patterns shift so big. And by that, I mean, like you, you might find them in the big woods on the, on the public land once the acorns drop, but your summer scouting, if what you're going to do is look for sign like tracks and heavy trails and stuff, you're not going to find them because all those deer are in the clear cuts on private land. They're not in the big public woods. There, there might be a, a few, but you're not going to find that same sign. So I hugely depend on in-season scouting whenever I'm hunting here at home. I mean, so much. Like, and, and, and because of that, I don't put a whole lot into going to a spot beforehand. Like I'm going to go in with the intention of hunting. I'm going to scout as best as I can in the dark, find a good spot, sit till eight, and then scout the rest of the, the area. Um, and, and most of the time, my best encounters came from that first sit on that gut instinct of where to set up, um, and how to hunt it. The biggest deer that I've killed have been on those first sits in, in the area or first time in the area. So I guess I'll go back and, and ask you this then. So when you were first, uh, starting your water access journey was that the case it was the case that my best encounters came from the first sets but i mean it, had, that was had the you, case had you gone in and i scouted routes that's what i scouted i scouted routes and beaches um because you'll consistently find that around water um there's going to be tracks right like deer are going to use that water all year long and you're going to find tracks. So if I go to a spot and I just run and troll that beach, that, that muddy, those muddy Creek drainages, and I'm not finding any tracks. then my assumption was there's probably not a ton of deer in here. If I'm not finding them in these natural funnels that they're going to be using where all the good stuff is growing, then they're probably not in this area too thick. And so I would just go and find those things, but I'm also scouting, um, I would scout the access from the roads. I want to make sure if I, if I use my boat to get back into a spot, I want to make sure that that hunt's not going to get blown out by some joker walking through the woods because I, there was a trail that didn't show up on Onyx or something like that. And, and that's happened several times. I learned that lesson. And so I'll go, when I get the idea to go to a new spot, I'll at some point I'm going to go and drive around the perimeter of that area and make sure that there's not any like, unmarked parking areas or because that's pretty common right like that's that's not unheard of uh you can't always do that on an out-of-state hunt because you don't have that amount of time um but it does that does play into it every once in a while and so while i do scout the routes i don't always I, i hardly ever scout the spots unless i'm you know just doing a scouting day or something like that which is rare and would you say that that holds true for you, Walter, or, or how are you uh, finding these spots? Um, Parker and I have kind of a distinct, well, actually, he's kind of getting getting into this game this year as well. So I think our styles are going to just continue to meld. Um, but I rely a lot on trail cameras to dictate where, when and where I go places. I um, do a lot of in-season scouting. I'm not scared to go into an area and blow it up and, and 
some cases, Parker was there when I found the one I was talking about earlier. I knew deer went down this little finger ridge down towards the body of water, and we blew down in there. We found a rub line. I hung a camera, and we started getting buck pictures moving uh, through that area. They were on a scrape. And so um, I would say that my best encounters definitely don't come on the first hunts often. Um, but on my first hunts, I'm also not scared to get down and do a lot of walking and blow deer out of there and, and stuff like that. So, uh, Parker has terrain advantages that allow him to be very, um, that allow him to use a skill set that he has, which is he can very quickly identify areas that are going to be high yield areas. Whereas down here, I have to do a lot more blow through an area, bust a deer out of a bed, kind of like a bump and dump long-term where you, you bust the deer out of that area. You go back and figure out why he was there. And then in the coming years, relying on trail cameras to help you kind of hone in on when you're going to hunt there. Um, I would say that my best hunt last year came on my second hunt in that area third hunt in that area um kind of different areas we bounced around but yeah second hunt in that area um i saw the biggest buck i've seen on public land and when i punched into another area uh a week later uh i had another huge eight point come out and buddy of mine actually got a shot at it before i did so um there's there is something to be said about that first set first few sits is how I would say in the South, those first few sits being really productive. Um, but I mean, it's also heavily skewed, but like I said, I'm doing a lot of, of, of trail camera usage and Parker this year is diving into the cell camera game. Um, and so he's a fellow sellout as well. Um, and it, it's going to impact. Sell out? Is that, is that spelled with a C? Yeah. <laughs> is that a thing? I, I, if that is a thing, then. It's not. We need to it. make it a shirt. Before. I, I was totally just. I was going to say that's got to be a shirt in a series. Uh, sell out. I like that. Sell no, I, I, you sit on. Sell this? out with the Southern Collective. I got a. I got a whole lot of free cell cameras on accident. So uh, <laughs> fell off. So I'm going to use them. <laughs> um, no, I mentioned. I mentioned earlier. I mentioned earlier that uh, that I got uh, this this uh, thing coming up with tethered doing the tagged out tour i'm going to be producing that show and so i'm not going to get to do a lot of the early season hunting a lot of the time i have really good rut success because the early season i i find the doe groups you know and then i'll adjust in the area for where i feel like the most rut activity is going to happen based on the terrain or vegetation or whatever Um, but this year i'm not going to have the ability to to locate those groups and kind of keep tabs throughout the early season like i normally do um, and so I'm going to be dependent on these cell cameras to, to tell me what deer are doing in the area, you know, and, and I think it's going to help me. I think it's going to help me. Um, my, my biggest problem, I don't think is ever finding where the deer are at, uh, or, or finding mature deer, honestly, like I could tell you about two of them that I should have killed last year on one of my toughest seasons ever. I had two great opportunities that I screwed up, right? Like, um, but then the other thing that I've always done is I've always, I never know the deer that are in the area because my hunting style is a lot of in-season scouting and, and going to new spots and things. And so I don't ever really know the deer. And I, and, and I, I feel like I make a lot of mistakes and, and I shoot deer that, eh, maybe I wouldn't have shot had I known what it actually looked like. 
um, on camera, I'm happy about every deer kill that I get. And I never really make it that big of a deal. If I shoot a deer, that's a little bit smaller. Um, a life that has the stories to back it, a life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. Six, eight Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. And sometimes I do it on freaking purpose. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I'm like, I just got to kill a deer right now. I don't care what it looks like. Um, but a cell camera, I have seen it so many t- with so many people are like, I was about to shoot that deer. Then I realized, oh, I know what deer that is. Mm-hmm. That's not a deer that I want to shoot. And golly, if I had that of two of the bucks that I killed last year, three of the bucks that I killed last year, if I would have actually known what they looked like and it would have been kind of a rush situation, I probably wouldn't have shot them. You know what I mean? Um, and I, and I, and I did, I, and I, I don't want to discount that because I, I also am a advocate for shoot whatever makes you happy. Um, I'm simply just talking about mistakes that I've made that I feel like have hindered me from being able to fully, uh, I guess, perform is the right way or make those, make those game time decisions. And uh cell camera is going to be huge, man. That's going to be huge for that. So one of the things, and, and I talk about this often and I use cell cameras. It's not like a big deal to me, like one way or the other. Um, but I'm also not, like in a position to where like and you and I've had this conversation before, like, but where I'm in a position to be like, well, where I should be like sorting my deer. Right. Like I shouldn't be like, well, you know, that one, he need, you know, his threes aren't good enough. Or like, I can't judge oh, a deer crap, like that. No. It's that, that, I ain't that, doing that. that. Not me not, by, we're by, talking about, <laughs> yeah, we're talking about not shooting a six point because you don't know what he actually looks like. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> right. But one of my things is like, I love, and, and it's one of the things I love about hunting, but I love about like public land hunting. I love, I love, like we talked earlier about proof of concept, but like just going into an area and being like, okay, I found this area. There should be bucks here. Like whatever you get up a tree buck walks out. Like, you know, if it makes me happy, like I want to shoot him. You know, I don't want to think about like, I know there's two other ones that normally run with him and like, should I wait? Or like, you know, am I going to get busted or like any of this stuff? Like I, I love that like validation of like, I picked the spot, here's the deer. And you get a little bit of that when you put a trail camera out. Right. So you're like, okay, yeah, I knew that there was deer, deer in this area, but like by, by like choosing by saying like, Oh, you know, it's, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll PG this up because I know like you're the youth pastor and they, you were, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm not, you, I'm not, <laughs> yeah, you can that. say whatever, whatever but, you want. Adam. But, but so my, my, my father-in-law used to say, when you start sorting, you're screwing, the only one you're screwing is yourself. And that's kind of the way that it is with like not shooting bucks right it's like you're you may be going home with tag soup when you probably shouldn't be you know unless you're like in this a different class of hunter or you're putting in all this extra work and your um confidence level is like super high like what that i don't need to kill that deer because i'm going to kill one 
over here. And I think that's where a lot of people get in. They get so infatuated with these pictures where that changes. Like, I don't even want to say like who they are, but who they think they are. It does. You know, it big time. You know, the guys, you know, the guys I'm talking about, they're like, man, he's three and a half year old, whatever. Like, listen, um, here's, how did you say it to me, Walter? It's funny. You just mentioned cussing Adam because we had a conversation about whether we're going to cuss on platform um, in the future yesterday. And Walter responded like this. He said, I see your opinion and I respect it. So Adam, I see that opinion and I respect it. What I'm talking uh, and, and whenever I had a full-time job and had weekends to hunt, frick dude, I don't care. Like I really don't like I'm, if I go out there and I kill a buck and it made me happy, we're good to go. I have time now. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I arguably have less time, but for hunting and deer and hunting season, I'm able to prioritize my time. And so that for me was the big thing with, with using a cell camera. I was like, you know, I mean, I I'm like you, man. Like I love the surprise and I love the knowing and, or, or the not knowing what a deer looks like and, and making those mistakes and kind of kicking yourself and laughing about it later. You know, those, those are great and I love them, but I want to be able to like use my time as best as I can and challenge myself uh, to be better. And so I would not expect like Walter, Walter gets to hunt weekends. If Walter told me that he had a limit, like a score limit on the deer that he was killing, I'd, I'd want to hit his big toe with a hammer. I just <laughs> like Walter is he gets to hunt weekends. That's it. Like go out there and make the most of the time, set realistic expectations. It's the realistic expectations that, mm-hmm. that I think people get hung up on. Like, yeah, there's big bucks in your area. There's big bucks in a lot of areas. And if you have a camera out there all the time, you might catch them. That doesn't really make you. That doesn't, that's not the hunt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can't just depend on that to tell you what you need to know, right? Like you got to go out there and you still got to put in the time. You still got to learn and put in that effort. Um, it's not like a magic solution. Um, but yeah, dude, like I, I, I think anybody should set those realistic expectations for themselves. Don't, don't, uh, with a trail camera, it's easy. And I'm worried about myself getting like hyper-focused on specific deer. Cause I've never really had that problem. And I do tend to get hyper-focused on things. Um, and so like, I got, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that that's not the case. I hope I can still go out and, and enjoy it. You'll get, you'll get hyper-focused, but what you'll find is you'll get hyper-focused because of the need to be hyper-focused. You're going to get a buck that comes through every day for like three days in a row at 10 AM. And you're going to be like, Oh, and every day, like day one, it comes through and you're like, if he does that again tomorrow, like I'm, I'm going to get him." and day two gets there. And then every hour of that day, when that photo comes through, you're going to just be like all about it. And then when he quits showing up on camera, you're going to bounce to other spots because you're also a, a, an established enough a hunter. You're not going to rely just on that, that trail camera. I think Mm -hmm. that trap that you're talking about are people who are hunting solely for, um, the outcome of killing a big deer or people who are, are 
very new to hunting and they're relying way too heavily on one component of the entire puzzle. Right. And I tell people all the time, or I did on chasing tails, find two or more reasons to hunt that area. Okay, great. You found a hot feed tree. Is it a thousand yards from the nearest security cover? Then there's no reason to hunt right here. Right. Like that's only one reason. I think trail camera pictures kind of fall into like the half measure of a reason. There needs to be more than just a photo of a deer coming through the area for you to hunt it. Can you access it appropriately? Do you know why he's coming through that area? Can you catch him coming from a different area? And so I think what you're going to see is it's going to make you a more efficient hunter at targeting the the quality of bucks you could if you knew what was in that area. I don't think it's really going to change like your approach to things. And I'm willing to bet throughout the course of this year, you're going to wind up shooting some, some <laughs> not huge buck is going to come through just roaring during the rut. And we're going to get a, a, a beautiful photo, uh, Insta 360 video of you crushing and the deer like rolling. And you're going to call, you know, your, your phone call is going to be to your dad. He's not as big as I thought he was, but you know, like <laughs> it's going to happen because you're out there for that adventure as much as you are trying to like punch a buck tech. Well, right. Yeah. It's, it's just got to remain fun. That's my thing is like, if yeah. it, if it stops being fun and I get too focused on a big deer, which feels like what cell cameras could potentially do to me, to me personally, then I don't want any part of it, man. I, I'll go back to making the mistakes and, you know, having fun. It's just got to be fun. Yeah. But I don't think that's the case. And I think it's exactly like what Walter was saying. I think, I think for the, the, the guys that we were talking about that, um, and I don't know if we were talking about them prior to the podcast or whatever, but these guys that are just like consistent, like murderers, you know, like a, a Troy Pottinger or something, right? Like a, a guy like that is, you know, probably doesn't even have cell service on all of his cameras, but what he's doing is he's chronicling that info and exactly what Walter said is like that. 10 o'clock picture comes in 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock novice hunter. A would be like, Oh, I'm going to be there tomorrow and doesn't look at the wind. Doesn't look at why that deer's there. And you look and you say, okay, well that was, you know, a Southwest wind and there was a, a cold front or whatever. And then, so now it's switching to a, a, an east wind or a north wind, so I can't access that. So the next time I get a southwest wind, whether I get a picture or not, I'm going to be right there. You know, things that you would do normally, but now you just have more yeah, information. Man. Instead of saying, like, like that guy that gets those pictures and he's like, oh, I'm going there tomorrow, like, regardless, that yeah. deer's in the area, and just completely screwing it up. And I think that that's, I think that that's the difference is you just have – like you said, a lot of uh, times earlier, like you're talking about um, hunting and accessing the most efficient way. This is just a more efficient way to get that information. Yep. You still have to process it. You still have to execute the same way. Um, and you're just, you just have a, a, uh, a different pool to pull from. Like you don't have to go get that card to have that information. And I think that that's, mm -hmm. That's the main thing that I see with, with guys who are, I, I call them like hunters and trail camera enthusiasts. Like the guys that get the pictures at midnight of these big bucks and they're like, oh yeah, this is great. And then they're just, they collect this, you know, computer full of pictures 
but then the yeah. wall is bare, you know, because it's like, well, I'm just going to sit here and hope that they come by instead of saying yeah. like, where, what direction were they coming from? Where was the wind? Like, yeah. What time is it? How far back do I have to go to kill these deer? Which is where I think that like yourself, like a next level hunter or a guy that's putting in the work successful, you know, whatever, like you don't need like the proof of concept, right? You're, you're just going to yeah. take that same information and process it like you normally would. So, and I, and I know here's the other thing that I know too. And I, and I'll wrap up this thought. Um, I know how I take things. And whenever I've been watching a big buck on a camera, do the same thing for three days. And then I go and hunt him and he doesn't do that. Hmm. I'm going to take that mm-hmm. personal. <laughs> like it's going to be a tough, it's going to be a bad day for me. It's going to be a bad day for my wife. Like, like that, that's my natural tendency is to really take that. Um, and that's going to be hard. You know, that's going to be something that, I mean, most people use trail cameras. Most people use cell cameras these days. And I kind of feel like I'm a little bit late to the game and you guys have already figured out how to kind of process those things happening. And I'm like, eh, I don't even know what that is. Like I've never really experienced that. Yeah. It, 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 and it, it will happen. And, and, and at that point in time, you'll never rely solely on a trail camera picture again. Like it, it it'll just be done at that point in time. But I tell yeah. you the, the, the cool thing for me is I think getting that real long data in in real time like it, it sounds funny but like a long soak of a cell camera being able to see that progression in real time not the information being ve- hey jesus not not that information being uh my dog was like scratching the carpet in the corner i, I didn't know what that was um i didn't know if it was elena or <laughs> that's how my wife talks to me not how i talk to my wife uh but being able to see those trends in real time over a period of time, like getting the big buck photos, those are cool. But you see the the does start to come through as groups and then suddenly they're broke up and then the bucks are coming in in groups and the bucks are, are broke up and the fawns are no longer on the does. And you start seeing these trends start to happen o- across yeah. the WMA. Um, it's not so much having the ability to say that deer was here. I'm going to go kill him. It's like, okay, I thought this would be what happened generally speaking and then being able to confirm or challenge that that perception in real time that's a huge a huge advantage you're going to get all that information at the end of the year the only difference is you get to kind of read the book as the season goes yeah i think you're not going to be you're not going to be disappointed i think you just have to like uh manage another uh dopamine hit which is when that picture comes in and you're going to have to figure, you know, if you thought like likes or comments or subscribers on YouTube or whatever (laughs) was cool, like, you know, bucks at, you know, 10 AM on a crisp, cool morning. It's like, now you're like those likes and comments and stuff. You can't do anything about them. And you're like, I should be in the woods. Like, what am I doing? I'm in the wrong spot. Like that's the, (laughs) that's the real thing that you're going to need to manage now. So that's right. (laughs) So you talked about the, the tethered uh, tagged out tour and stuff like that. Um, What do you guys have coming up this fall for uh, the Southern collective? Lots of great things. Um, so 
uh, you guys have had, y'all had Walter on plenty of times. I'm sure you talked about Patreon hunts and things like that. Um, but we're gearing up for some Patreon hunts for, I mean, I think what Walter, we've got like four spots left, two, two spots left. Mm-hmm. I mean, like to me, like, man, I'm looking, I've gone on whenever it was chasing tails. I've gone on those hunts before. And, uh, it, it turns into the hunts that you look forward to the most because the group of guys is so much fun to hang out with. Largely, a lot of my stuff's been solo for most of my, me and my dad when I was a kid, and but now a lot of solo stuff. And I really look forward to those times whenever I get to go and hang out in camps with people. And so, you know, I mean, all these cool states I get to hunt with Tethered and my Alabama stuff, that'll be fun, but and I'm just I'm mostly looking forward to those times when we can really just uh just hang out, you know, like be around other people that are like minded, enjoy a campfire. Mm, that sounds nice right now. Yeah, and I think I think one of the things where I said, you know, you guys aren't gonna see necessarily more content, but a better quality of content. We've got two hunts planned as SoCo where everybody's going to be hunting together. One is going to be the Patreon hunt. The other one's going to be in December. Uh, if Matt, you know, can go ahead and kill his deer and, and grace us with his presence. But um, we've got a lot of content from last year. Basically the reason why no one saw any content up until now is because all of it was being archived uh, for this upcoming fall. And we're kicking it off with, uh brett's can i say this parker can we like put this out there yeah i mean we put it on social media i'm editing it at the moment yeah i mean so brett brett a south alabama boy i mean we're talking 40 minutes from florida drove out to uh, one of the hardest places in the u.s to hunt missouri and killed an absolute hammer um and got it all on film it's his first solo film uh adam's red in the face right now got him right as he was drinking water um (laughs) but uh went out there and grinded it out i think for about four or five days uh past nine was it nine days nine days okay so nine days but he passed a couple studs in fact parker was watching the video and he's like did he pass that deer when it ran past him i mean i would have crushed it well Um, this you want to talk about proof of concept after editing that video and looking at there that deer i'm like oh no probably not but then that first shot i'm like i'd freaking kill him in a heartbeat <laughs> yeah. you know, that's my problem this is my problem guys i'm in missouri and i would kill a hundred inch deer because he kind of yeah. looked big yeah <laughs> but um, he he got it he got it all on camera and like just crushed the video his first ever attempt and so uh, that's going to kick off a whole series of content from everything we had last year. And then you guys are going to get to see, you know, true community through the videos as we go. And I'm just going to be honest with you. When you have four guys who could run a camera all hunting together, the quality of those videos are going to explode, right? You know, the drag outs are going to get documented and the, the blood trails are going to get documented and the drama at camp, uh, you know, Florida man, when he shows up, like that's going to get documented. And so, uh, it's just going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited. I know the footage that's coming. We've talked about it. I'm not going to put it all out there like I'm prone to, but I know people are really going to enjoy what's coming down the pipe. And so I think there's going to be more. I mean, what Walter said, there's not going to be more. I think there will be more. Okay. Uh, because there's, there's more people. I really do. I think it's going to end up being more. Yeah. Yeah. More content than, than anybody who's ever been subscribed to me or Walter. 
have ever gotten. And uh, it's going to be so much fun. I can't I wait. Guess- I, just to clarify, I meant like more c- types of content this fall. Like there's not going to be like a, a it's going to be a lot of hunting videos, right? Like, it's oh yeah, it's just going to be a lot of, we're just going to kill a lot of stuff. A lot hopefully. of death. <laughs> yeah. A lot, just a lot of death and destruction. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we are uh, currently planning in case anybody's interested. Uh, we have been scheming, um, you know, people like Adam turn, turn their nose up when we say we're the some of the hardest hunters and the best hunters down here in the South. One of the things we're trying to find is where a roving mob of, of Floridians can go and just decimate a deer population. We're looking at whatever States allow us to uh, just go and waylay whatever walks out. And so we've got a couple of big candidates, but I think there is a, um, there was a, there was a theme that rolled up this week about, you know, a traveling band of Floridians just, ready to go out and ruin some people's day shooting 60 to, to 80 inch deer and in every doe a day that we're allowed. So um, stay tuned for that. Cause I think that's going to happen. And, and Adam, that might be the first time I leave the state is, is uh, lead, leading the tribe. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I don't know how it, it carries over. I believe that it, that it does. Um, but I'm still a member of the Patreon for uh, this whole deal did I you believe. fix your card because it bounced a couple years back and you haven't <laughs> yeah <laughs> actually it did just get compromised so i do need to update that but um but yeah so when whenever you did, do decide to head to the midwest I, that, that'll be the one that i sign up for um but as park kind of alluded to uh there was stuff on chasing tails there was stuff on uh southern ground so where can people go and find this content now like how how is that all coming together well, I'm glad you asked. Um, so with this, we've both had brands. And so we kind of took the strongest, the strongest things from each of our, uh, each of our brands. So our, uh, our YouTube is going to be, if you were subscribed to the Southern ground hunting YouTube channel, then you're going to be, then you're still subscribed to the Southern collective YouTube channel. We just changed the name, changed the graphics and the branding and stuff. Um, the thing that we did not, stay the same on is the podcast network. So um, for people who have listened to us to Southern ground hunting, we've been with the sportsman's nation turned sportsman's empire. Uh, and we've been doing that for like five years. And I love Dan. Dan is, uh, Dan is one of the greatest influences I've ever had. And, and partially because he was the first person to really give me a shot with any type of platform. Uh, in the hunting space. And so um, I owe a lot to Dan and the Sportsman's Empire is a great place. Um, the reality was Walter had a system, had a great relationship. And uh, so we're we're moving everything over to Waypoint with Walter, where the, the chasing tails was. And you can kind of explain that, Walter, how you, how you went about all that. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we're part of the Waypoint podcasting network and, uh, that relationship there gave I just muted myself. Um, <laughs> I swiped a, a, a beard hair off the keyboard and muted myself. I don't know how I did that. Uh, Waypoint gives beard us a platform hair. to uh, l- launch some of the things that we have coming down the pipe that I'm not going to talk about. Um, but, you know, we, we have big visions for Soko. One of the things about this merger was Parker and I's ability to execute, like he said at the very beginning, those things that we said this would be awesome to do, and then it just pff, 
goes into the hope chest and, 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 you know, one day if you win the lottery, our combined talents give us that ability to really execute. And so that structure there with waypoint is one of the reasons we stay there. So if you were subscribed to chasing tales outdoors, you're now subscribed to the Southern collective. And if you were listening to Southern Southern ground previously, that feed's going to disappear and turn into something else. I'm sure. Um, so what I would tell people is go to our website, which will probably be live about the time he drops this. And if not, it'll be pretty close. Uh, go to the website. August 1st. It's going August. live August 1st. So if it's after okay. August 1st, then there you go. Um, or just Google the Southern Southern Collective Hunting Podcast. It's going to take you right to where it is. It's the only name even remotely close to it, despite the word Southern being in there. Um, and uh, we'd love to have you over there. It's a, it's going to be a really good time. Some really focused content, some seriously unfocused content when it's a roundtable discussion. Um I'm really looking forward to it. And I think people are really going to enjoy what's coming down the pipe. Well, awesome guys. I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, not only the, the collaboration with the podcast and all that, but the video and, and everything. And I I appreciate you coming on here tonight and kind of talking about it. And then, uh, you know, uh, indulging me in, in my questions on, uh, water access and, uh, and all that stuff as well. Well, you got me pumped up, man. Like I thought we were just coming on here to talk about, the Southern Collective and all the changes, and you got to go off talking about water access and I know. why it's great. That's kind of what I get do. Me fired up, you know. Get I me can't. fired up, bro. It's it's not all it's not all sales. <laughs> so, <laughs> but but thank you guys for taking time out of your evening tonight, and uh, I do appreciate you. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you, man.